This is a perfect business because I get to help people on both sides. I have private investors that want stability and some security in their investments. When I get emails, I get handwritten notes showing appreciation. It feels great. And then I get to use that money to help active real estate investors fix and flip houses. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today's guest is Kevin Amalsh. Kevin, did I say your last name correctly? Yeah, very, very close. Amalsh. Amalsh. Got it. Great Perfect. job, though. We'll try. We'll try. The first name is very easy. Kevin is from Denver right now, correct? Yes, that's right. Awesome. I thought Kevin's story is going to be very interesting. That's why we invited guest Kevin to be on our show. He does investing just like a lot of our guests as well, but he does it in a very unique manner. He is really the bank. So he's doing private money lending, which essentially means right. when somebody needs debt, it's predominantly in the real estate space. And I'll let Kevin explain that. I'll set the stage. So if somebody is trying to buy an investment property, they want to do some work on that. And for some reason, they don't want to go through the conventional loan process, which is usually painful. Someone like Kevin jumps in. Of course, there's a cost to that, but that's where Kevin focuses. And he's been a real estate investor over the last two decades. So Kevin, with that note, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you for making time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about building wealth with you. Awesome, Kevin. Kevin, before we jump into building wealth, let's talk about your transition, your migration story into wealth, right? That's yeah. the name of our show. would love to understand your journey, how you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, very interesting. So I was in high school and you know what? I was so sick and tired of school and, and I graduated and I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to college because I just need a break. And the army got me. The recruiter told me, hey, join the army. You could play laser tag for a living. And so he sold me. I was like, laser tag? I get paid for it? I'm in. So I joined the army out of high school. And the thing about the army is you don't make a ton of money, but you don't spend a ton either. I was living in the barracks. Right. I was eating at the mess hall. My truck was paid off. So I had a little bit of savings going into the bank every single month. And I saw that starting to grow. And I started thinking like, what else can I do with this money to make it grow faster? So I just started educating myself, started reading books. And a lot of the books point to real estate. Millionaires are made in, in this using real estate as their vehicle. So I really honed in on that. And I bought my first property right before I got out of the army. I was just turning 21, bought it, lived in it for a couple of years, moved out of it, kept it as a rental. So there I was 23 years old, had my first rental property. And what I learned was real estate will make you rich. So I just started buying properties and I was in college at this point, buying a property or two every single month. And you don't do that unless you can figure out creative ways to structure the transactions. So that's kind of how I migrated to the financing side. I just love the deal hunt and the putting the deal together, the structure. So now here I am helping other investors do that. Awesome. And Kevin, this is such a great story because you don't know sometimes, of course, you had a different problem. You had a problem, you had money sitting, you didn't know what to do with it. But that really goes back to one key thing that I want to point out is you could have gotten and go buy some consumption stuff, right? Whatever you want oh, to sure. do, a shoe, All my friends were doing that, whatever, right? right? So what made you not go in that direction? Because that's the herd mentality. Everyone's doing it. Let me go do it. It's easy. But you went against the grain. So what triggered that? That's a really tough question. I actually don't remember ever being asked that, but I, I'm thinking about how I grew up in a house with a brother and a sister and a father. I, we lost our mom when we were very young and my dad worked his ass off. He was an entrepreneur, but he was a solo entrepreneur or whatever, where 
it was his company, but he was the only person in the company, right? So he worked really hard and I saw him fight and struggle as I was growing up. And so I just wanted to make money and I started by mowing lawns and shoveling snow. And then I started riding my bike up to the drugstore so I could buy packs of bubble gum and I'd go to school and I'd start selling those. And I just tried to do anything I could to make money growing up. And my dad was great. He would try reading this book or this book and they're just inspirational type of books. You know, he right. was... um some network marketing. And so they were feeding him all of this self-help stuff and he would share it with me. So I think that's kind of how it got going. That is so interesting. Uh, Did you ever share that with anyone else around you or are you doing something so crazy? It's always interesting to hear why people did what they did. And the journey that you and I are on when we started was very alone because there's not a lot of people around us doing that, right? There are people in the world doing it, but most people's ecosystem, they're not surrounded by folks who are doing similar things that we're, you and I are doing right now. That's right. So how did that transition happen, right? I'm very interested in, because that moment is what defined you. You could have complained. You could have said it's hard. You could say no one's helping me. You could say life's yeah. not fair. You could go in so many different directions, right? But you picked a specific direction. I understand your yeah. dad's role in that, but there's always people around you. So how did you cultivate that ecosystem if you were not already around it? Wow, you're really asking some good questions here. And I've been on quite a few podcasts and I haven't been asked these types of questions. So I'm really digging deep here to do the best I can and give you the honest answer here. And Mm -hmm. when I was in the army, you know, it's difficult, right? You work really hard and long hours and you have people yelling at you and screaming at you. And you just kind of want to get out of that sometimes. And Uh And so I was like, this is like the military is the ultimate corporate structure. I mean, they're fantastic at that. So if you're looking for a corporate ladder, then that's probably a good solution for you. But as I went through that process and that time in my life, I realized I don't want somebody yelling at me and when I can go use the restroom and all of this, and I want to be able to take time off and I'm going to have a family someday and I want to be able to be there for my kids and I want to go to their soccer games and I don't want to be out in the field playing laser tag. I was like, I just do not want to work for anybody else. Mm-hmm. And then it's like probably a lot of your listeners, I just wanted that freedom. You know, you feel it in your gut, how that freedom will feel before you have it. And it's, I'm telling you, it's just like that. When you don't have to worry about money, that feeling is, I don't even know how to describe it. It's amazing. And I felt that yeah. before I had it and it just drove me forward. That's awesome. So Kevin, now you're in that phase that you want to do something with that money. You had some money lying around. You're not just going to go buy the first property you see. What was that process for you? I was very traditional then. I was reading books about investing and everything was pointing to real estate, but I hadn't gone into the creative side of it yet. So it's like, go get a 30-year fixed loan, rent it out to a tenant, the very traditional approach. So I had a real estate agent up here in Denver. I was stationed down in Fort Carson in Colorado Springs. So it's about an hour and a half drive. So on the weekends, I would come up and meet with my agent. We'd go drive around and look for properties. And I found one in a pretty rough area because that's all I could afford. We did a three and a half percent down payment. It was a hundred thousand dollar house. So three and a half. Wait, you said three and a half percent down payment? My very first one was an FHA loan. So it's still like that, right? So it was an FHA loan because I was going to move into it. Right. And then then I started getting more creative. Like, I know I'm going to get rich in this business. I just got to figure out how to acquire them. So I, I was out of the army, but I was in the guard. So the army was paying me a GI bill. So I had a monthly income from the GI Bill. And then the National Guard paid the majority of my college tuition. So I didn't really need any loans or anything. And then I was also working. I had a job in a call center. So 
I didn't need loans, but I still took out a student loan. I, in fact, I took out as much student loan as I possibly could. Yeah. Low interest rate debt, tax deductible. And I use that for a down payment on, on a second home. So that's how I was able to purchase my second home. That's property. amazing, man. Let's make sure that you don't get in trouble by telling us that story. And I didn't take a student loan, so I have no idea. You know, like, don't use a student loan for something else, which is the craziest thing, because once the money is sitting in your account, how are they going to figure out what are you going to use it for? Which is the craziest way of giving you the loan. But anyway, so now you got the loan, you got the house, you got yep. the bug, yep. right? So tell us your I journey got it. from yep. there. Tell us your journey from there. My you first... got a rampage of acquiring 100 properties, what do your portfolio look like? Give us some context from you're buying your first in the rough neighborhood with 3.2% down because yeah. you can only buy one at that DFHA, right? Right, Because it's for right. the first time homeowners. Now, how did you go from there to building a portfolio? There's a lot of stories in here, but that first tenant was my very first eviction. It was an mm. absolute nightmare. So for me to even be here talking to you right now is amazing because that process and that experience my guess would take a lot of people out of the business because I did everything right. wrong and they wrecked my house. I had the sheriff's was there. I had stolen cars in the driveway. I had somebody oh, wow. moved into the shed out back. It was a total disaster. There was a cockroach infestation that I can't even describe to you. And this was all in the very first tenant, but I got them out, re-rented it back out. And I just saw the cash flow, you know, and right. I knew I could do this. So I had that second property and I'm like, hold hey, on one second. What kept you going, my friend? It's what you asked me earlier. Just I can't work for somebody else. I just got to be able to. Yeah, I because, just. I mean, first property, you know, sometimes say you want to buy your first property, right? Which it's kind of funny when people say that because most of my guests don't. Their first property is where they make most of their mistakes. So it's always interesting. What made you not give up? Because they're like, this thing is not real. The negative thought. I understand your drive to leave, but something kept you going in real estate. Yeah, you could have picked another it, asset class. It's gut. It's that gut, mm. that, the freedom that you want. You want that so bad, right? So right. we talk about it all the time. Like, what is your why? If, if you have a strong enough why and you're dedicated to that why, you can't yeah. fail. Like, it's right. impossible to fail if you have that set. So it was just that drive in my gut, knowing that I wanted that freedom. Awesome. So now Look, you go from there to second property. What happened there? Yeah, so that was easy transition because I got the student loan for the down payment and bought the second one it, and yes. kept the first one. And yes, then yes, yes, from yes. there, it's like, well, now I'm kind of tapped out. I'm, no one's going to give yeah. me a loan now. I don't have enough income and I've got two properties and I'm just a kid. So I, I started going to seminars. I started reading books on creative financing. You know, I'd go to those weekend events where everybody on stage wants to sell stuff to you and I would buy something and implement. I made a rule that if I ever read a book or did a home study course, I would implement at least one thing out of the course or I wouldn't buy anymore. So I was implementing things that I was learning. I started going after foreclosures. And that turned into a, my second biggest mistake. I mm. gave a guy three grand. I didn't even have three grand. So he would give me the deed to his house. And then I had control of the house and I went to the bank to negotiate a short sale. Well, the bank said no. I didn't think that was possible because everything I was reading is short sales were so right. easy. I was like, man, I got my first foreclosure. This is going to be fantastic. And I ended up losing three grand and I had to borrow two of that. So I lost money. I shouldn't have. And then I discovered the lease option. And that's really where things took off. Um, I started buying a property or two every month with the lease options. Got it. Let's talk about lease options because this is the first time it's been mentioned in our show. And I know okay. that. And why don't we hear it from you? What a lease option is? 
Yeah, I love this strategy. For anyone who's newer to real estate investing, this is a fantastic way to get going because you could virtually eliminate risk. So a lease option is just like it sounds. It's a lease on a property with an option to purchase a property at a later date. Let's say you take a $100,000 house that's worth $100,000 today. Maybe you are willing to pay the full $100,000 for that house. And so you lock in that price, but maybe you say, I'm not going to close on it for the next seven years or 10 years or whatever you're able to negotiate with the owner, but I'm going to make lease payments to you every single month. And then I just sublease the property out to a tenant. And so that was a way for me to create a little spread. And then I would give the tenant the option to buy. So I was actually sandwiching myself between two mm -hmm. lease options. And then when the tenant decided to exercise their option to buy, I would just go and close with my seller. Then I'd sell it to my buyer and I would create some income. And with house prices going up, it's great because your option, even the paper, the contract itself becomes more and more valuable because you have a right, right. to buy the property at a discount, right? right? So it's just a way to get in with no credit checks, no income verification, and no down payments. Yeah. So Kevin, and why would somebody give you a house? Let's say 100K is the right number, right? For now, who knows? In seven years, they're not getting paid right now at all. There's right. no down payment. Why would somebody give right. you the right to buy their house at 100K when in future, the prices may go up. What's the reason yeah. for that? It's all motivation. Like you got to find the problem. As a real estate investor, we are problem solvers. So we're hunting for problems, not hunting for houses. And if you find someone who, let's say, had a job transfer, I mean, we that's just one example that came to my mind. I bought a property from somebody that he had to move to Chicago from Denver and he could not afford two house payments. So to have a guaranteed right. or a promised lease amount, and someone that's going to manage that without any management fees for you was really attractive to him. Let me just rephrase that. And you tell me if I'm capturing your essence correctly. If you're looking for MLS to buy a lease option property, chances are you may not find them. Right. right? So I think what we're basically right. saying is you have to go look for problems that no one is ready to solve. And that's where an investor's role is. An investor is an entrepreneur, right? I look at them as... If you're not an entrepreneur, you're probably not going to be a great investor because there's going to be risk involved yeah. and there's going to be, you have to love problems. And if you hate problems, yeah. if you want to keep things simple and status quo, these things are not for you, right? And that doesn't mean you cannot be an investor. You may not want to be an active investor, right? If it's going to take Bingo. you two months to analyze a deal, you may not want to be an active investor. You may want to be a passive investor that you trust somebody else's of how they aren't writing the deals, which is the same That's case right. here, right? There are folks, and Kevin, we're talking about now, this is not a lease option course. There's definitely trainings available for that if somebody's interested in that. But what we're basically saying is, if somebody wants to do that, there are mechanisms available. There is a whole marketplace out there where you can go find lease options. But the first question is not, where can I find it? It's, do you really want to find it, right? Yeah. That's really the first question, the amount of work involved. I always say starting anything and ending anything is very easy. It's the middle where we have the problem, right? So you want to be careful in that. I'm sharing this journey that you have made, not because we're endorsing lease options. It's a vehicle. Doesn't mean it's the only vehicle. I started as a real estate investor probably over 23 years ago now. I have never done lease options, right? I just thought that was more work on me and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's a wrong option. It's all right. It's great. It worked very good for you. But I never yes. did it. And the reason I'm saying that is because just because you're hearing something, you have to put a lot, lot more thought behind it, what is really involved. You have to do your own research. Lease option is a great strategy for somebody who wants to do it.
And for somebody like me who didn't want to do that, it was not a great strategy. I would have gotten frustrated because I didn't buy into that strategy. So anyways, Kevin, now you go from there, lease options, building a portfolio to now you're doing something completely different. The problem that you had at that time was being a creating finance, a creative financing. Now you're the financier. So help us understand that migration, my friend. Yeah. So think about back in 2005, six, seven, when interest rates were starting to rise and you had some really creative, weird loan products out there, like negative amortization and interest only, and everything was adjusting based on LIBOR. So you'd have rates adjusting every month, which is very unique. I had a bunch of properties. I had my lease option portfolio and I also was acquiring properties. Mm -hmm. So we would fix and flip and do some of that. And if I decided to keep a property, I didn't want to flip it. I would just keep it and permanent loan on it. Well, as the interest rates were coming up, my rents were coming down. The Mm -hmm. economy was starting to have some pressure. So I needed new ways to create cash flow. And I was recruited to be a mortgage broker because of my success in investing. And I didn't like that very much, but I loved the financing side of real estate. And that's why I was so successful with the lease options. That's just a strategy to finance properties. I really liked the financing side. And in 2006, I started working with, her name was Susan. Susan taught me how to loan out other people's money. My first deal was $100,000 and his name was John. And John gave me $100,000 and says, go out and loan this to somebody. So I went to a real estate sales meeting, like a realtor sales meeting where they try to sling their listings. And I got up in front of the room and said, I have a hundred grand. If anyone's going to do a fix and flip, I'd love to finance it for you. And this again, 2006, and somebody raised their hand and we ended up doing that deal. I charged four points origination. I gave John two, I kept two. So there was $2,000 and I was like, there is something here. I just need to scale. I need to get it a little bit bigger. And then 2008 hit and that's when everything collapsed and Susan decided she wanted to teach real estate. I like to do real estate. So I'm definitely a deal guy. I'm a trenches guy. So I went out and started Pine Financial in 2008. Got it. And now from there, that 2008 to now 2023, what does that journey look like? It's been amazing. It's so amazing. Look, this is a perfect business for me because I get to help people on both sides. I have a private investors that want stability and some security in their investments. And so I'm able to provide that. I've been doing that for 15 years, right? And that feels good. Investors, when I get emails, I get handwritten notes from investors showing appreciation. It feels great. And then I get to use that money to help real estate, active real estate investors fix and flip houses. So they're out there making money and doing what they love. So I'm sandwiched in between these two worlds where I get to help people reach their goals, reach their dreams. So it's been an amazing run. We've got four mortgage funds now. And we talked right before you hit record. One of them is a public fund, which I'm super proud of and enables us to help more and more people. Yeah. Yeah. And Kevin, how does the market look right now? Like the the capital markets in a turmoil right now, right? No one knows. Yeah. And we just got another rate hike. How are you looking at when you're doing private lending? How is that compared to traditional lending, if that's the right word? Yeah, we haven't raised rates at all. So that's pretty unique. Now, some of our competitors are highly dependent on the capital markets and they're raising their rates. So that's been kind of cool to watch. So much of our money is to private investors, right? And we have a flat 8% return. So Mm -hmm. that it's still attractive to investors, even with rates going up and they can get 4% money in a CD. It's still much better than that. And it's secured by real estate. So there's some collateral there. 
So when you say flat yeah, 8% that- to you, so if I'm investing my 100,000 with you, I'm getting yeah. an 8% back or I'm, I have an upside in the equity as well? So these are, this is a debt fund. So the cool thing about debt is it's the safest position in any capital stack. Mm-hmm. You're asking about the capital market. So we can come back to that. But yeah. debt is the safest one in the capital stack. So I like being on that side. So we bring in debt and then we loan it out as debt. So the only way I could promise a return is by signing a promissory note. So there's no mm-hmm. equity upside or there's no down, there's downside either. Right, 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 right. I mean, there is downside. The property has to crash. Possible, like, right. Yeah crazy crash. So I don't want to say there's, I mean, yeah. there's always a downside. It's just sure. that likelihood of downside is low, right? So yeah, let's talk about capital markets. How do you see that? And how do you see that affecting your business? Yeah. So it hasn't really affected my business yet, other than it, my competition has been, there's pressure on the margins for my competition. We've also seen as banks pull it way back. Another bank mm-hmm. fell this week. Yeah. So we're seeing banks pull back and being very conservative on their lending. So it's opening up more opportunities for us. And what's very interesting is with the Silicon Valley, the first one to go down, the fear of the FDIC insurance not being able to mm-hmm. cover. We saw an uptick in investors want to invest in Main Street. They want to invest in something secured by houses in their backyard. We saw people wanting to invest more with us as there was fear hitting the market and people wanting to borrow from us. So it's actually been pretty good for us. Now, do I think the interest rates are too high or at least the pace at what we got here too fast? I do. And I think that there's going to be some pain coming from that. Look, inflation numbers are, it's very interesting because, well, two things. The jobs market is strong and we're not seeing the unemployment go up, which we should be. But the reason for that, I believe, is because the amount of retired people every single day, the baby boomers are retiring now. So I think it's artificially low compared to what you would normally see through history. But if you saw that number increase, you would see inflation come down even faster. Inflation is being held up by housing. I mean, there's no question that rents have gone way up, housing has gone way up, and it's going to take some time for that to work its way through the market. So I think the interest rates right now are probably either a little too high or right where they should be. And I don't suspect that we're going to see too much more pressure from the Fed. I think, in fact, he didn't need to say like the chances of more coming or small or something. I haven't haven't read all of that. It's just happening this morning, right? Yeah. I think that makes sense, Kevin. This has been insightful, man. I think this, your journey is great from somebody who went from lease option to trying to figure out how to raise debt for your own investments, how to be creative about to now completely switching sides and now you are the debt provider, right? So the journey has been great. I'm pretty sure the journey has not been easy. We wish you well on that journey, Kevin. What we want to switch gears here is that how do you work with investors, right? In this market where everyone's money is stuck in the stock market are a lot of folks and the job market is uncertain. When they're looking at the debt fund, which most of the investors, unless they're a bond investors, they don't even know what that means. Okay, right? that is so debt. Bonds that, are debt. So. Correct. So that's the only ones who would understand that, but I don't think people understand even bonds. So it's not like they do have an understanding. They just understand stock because stock's the most exciting. Yeah. And we've been told, we've been brainwashed that the stock market is the only way to invest, right? Which is fine. Yeah. I'm not saying yeah. it's good or bad. Everything has a role to play. So when looking sure. at a debt fund, how does one analyze a debt fund? 
Yeah, so there's a couple different ways. First of all, you want to know how it's being managed and where the money is going. So for us, we're the managers of it. So if you're going to look at someone like Pine Financial to invest in, you would definitely want to, to research who's behind that, right? Any debt fund, you're going to want to research who's behind that. What's the track record look like? Is there references and referrals and that kind of thing? That's what I would be doing if I was out there looking for debt. But what are you invested in? There's debt funds that invest in venture capital and startups, and right. there's debt funds that invest in crypto, and there's it can invest in anything, right? We choose to invest our debt fund in debt against real estate because that's where we understand yeah. and that's where we feel the safest. And capital preservation, hands down, number one, our priority. So we could pay a good return, but it's not going to be like you would if you're investing in apartment syndication and, and you're thinking you might get 20 or 30% return. Of you're course. not going to get that. This is a very stable, steady return that people have been counting on for 15 years. Yeah. I think let me just bring it up. Let me K through 12 it. So you try and see if that makes sense. I think what we're basically saying is when you talk about a debt fund, a debt fund is really loaning money for something, right? And uh, yes. they're giving the investors an X percent and they're loaning money at X plus delta, whatever the delta is. And the delta is how they're making their own money, right? And some maybe some fees and some stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, we're making it very simple. I think the key thing for us to understand when you're looking at a debt fund and, and analyzing it, you're basically saying, what's the asset that the debt is investing in, right? And That's what's right. your position in it? A debt fund is great. But if it's taking equity position, the risk is completely changed, right? Totally. That happens a lot. I'm giving an investor as a debt fund, but I'm going to go invest in a business that I'm active in. That becomes, I'm taking equity ownership in that, which is a very different thing to do. Like what we're saying is that we're going to actually take, in your case, we're taking title of the property. We are putting liens on the property. So That's if right. there's a default, depending on what the hierarchy of the loan is, are you are the first lender, second lender, or third lender, or what position it is, your risk is pretty high. I mean, your risk is pretty low because your position is pretty high. That's really how to look at it. You want to look at crypto or housing or businesses, wherever you're investing in, you want to make sure that you understand that asset. It's less about the debt, it's really about the asset, right? That's really what you want to find. You're buying into a manager like Kevin's capability on understanding that asset and analyzing that asset, right? Because even though Kevin's paying you 8% in his case, there's still a risk. And that's the only way you're going to understand that risk is because that risk is you're buying into that risk is if you understand from Kevin which asset class and what qualifies him, what gives him the right to analyze those deals, right? In Kevin's case, he has a tremendous real estate experience, Right, and most of his debt funds are in real estate. So that credibility comes through experience. But that's really how I would analyze it. Kevin, is that a correct statement? Yeah, and I'll just, I guess, piggyback on that. Like everything you said is absolutely correct, but second and third position debt is, I think it's very risky actually. So we focus on first position, we're first position only at low loan to values. We're at our blended across our portfolios about 60% of the property's value mm -hmm. and we're short-term lenders. So our average loan is just over five months long. So even if you have an economy that moves, which it does, if it comes down, it would have to come down really fast in order to, to erode that you know 30 or 40 percent equity right. position that we have in the properties first republic that just went down they went down because they were highly focused on home mortgages with fixed right. rate loans right. that's a long 30-year loans and so if the interest rates and in market moves and you're stuck in that right so we don't have that exposure 
That's awesome. Kevin, this has been great, man. We're coming towards the end. I want to respect for everyone's time and your time as well. So we're coming towards the end of the show. You've shared so much insights. What you have to offer, there's no way we can package within one hour. Maybe one day, maybe one month, who knows, right? But there's a lot more than 30, 40 minutes here. So I want to be respectful of that. But I do know you have a book and we'll talk about that and other resources where people can learn. But before we go there, we always ask, your journey has been exciting, right? Several decades of great, not that easy, but it's been exciting. Exciting is the right word. Yeah. If you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, the guy who just came out of the military or who was in the military and try to figure out what the life is about, are there any insights you'll share with them, with that person right now that make their migration in life more intentional? Yeah, I do get this question sometimes. And I think what I did was a lot right because I had a ready, fire, aim approach and I just knew I was going to make mistakes. So it didn't scare me. I knew that I would just get up and keep going. And and the faster I could make those mistakes, the faster I could recover. So I was just full steam ahead. Right. And so I would definitely say that. But on top of that, something I would do differently is be very intentional with my goal setting. I think the questions are powerful and goals are powerful. And I was making goals that were, did not help me. What I mean by that is I would say, I wanted to be cool at the real estate club. I wanted to say, I own so many doors. And you hear that, you hear people say that all the time. I have this many doors. Well, personally, I don't care. Like what does the Mm -hmm. bottom line look like? That's what I care about. So I wanted to sound cool and be cool and be credible. And and so I made goals like I want to buy a house or I want two houses or whatever it is every month. And that's my goal, 12 houses this year. And so what ended up happening is I started buying houses that I shouldn't have bought just so I could hit my goal. Right. And then 2008 hit. And so I took a bath on a lot of stuff. And so if looking back, I'd say just make your goals more intentional and to benefit you and not your appearance. Yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about before. Just because Lee's option looks cool, don't just go do Lee's option. Just because apartment investing (laughs) looks cool, don't just go apartment investing right? Mm -hmm. You have to really understand why you're doing it and what it's getting you. Sometimes you may not get an answer. And at that point, it's okay to go fast, iterate fast and learn quick and then move out one way or the other. But if you don't know which direction is the right direction, every direction is the right direction, right? And that's the problem with the way you were talking about the goal setting is I want to look cool, which is how a lot of people start. It's so exciting. I have 20,000 doors, but you've invested $100 in each door. Is it really a door? Because your bottom line isn't really adding up if you have that many doors, right? right? So that's great. Now, I agree to that. Now, Kevin, we're going to shift gear here for one more last question is, migration is consistent. Migration is going to happen one way or the other. Where should humanity migrate towards? You mean like world peace? Where should humanity migrate? Look, I just believe that we're on this earth for a short period of time and... Mm -hmm. When we talked about our why earlier and how we're going to be successful no matter what, like if your why is strong enough and big enough, you cannot fail. We said that, you agreed with me. I think that why needs to be bigger than you. For me personally, like I grew up with my dad, a single dad, as I mentioned, and I lost my mom at a very young age and I saw him struggle, like I mentioned, and he got to retirement age and you know what? He didn't have a retirement. He didn't have the money to do it. So I saw that coming and I made my why to retire my dad and I ended up buying a house free and clear and gave it to him. Here's a gift for everything you did for me. So that was my why. Now it's like, how can I help underprivileged children and kids? And Mm -hmm. so my focus now is helping kids that don't have the loving home that you need to be successful in life. And it's just not fair. And so I migrate towards helping other people and helping kids. Yeah, that's such a powerful why, man. Yeah, becoming rich can eventually get old, but helping other people will never get old, right? That passion will never die. 
So thank you for sharing that, Kevin. Really appreciate that. Kevin, on that high note, my friend, I'm pretty sure somebody wants to learn more about all the things that you're doing, the wonderful lease option options, debt funds. Where can they find information about you and where can in touch with you? Yeah, I think lease options is going to be a fantastic strategy coming up. And that's because interest rates are so high now and you have all this debt locked in at, you know, sub 3%. If you can keep that in place on the house, that you could add value that way. So I think lease options is going to be a fantastic strategy. That's the strategy I wrote in my book. So if you're interested in lease options, get more information. It's at 45dayinvestor.com. And then if you're interested in creating some passive income. I know that's what you talk about on your show and you want to go out and loan money to other people. Just be smart about it. It's a fantastic way to build wealth. I just don't want to see you lose money. So I I wrote a report to help people stay safe in private lending. And you can get that at thepinereport.com. And I also have a second report on there about the economy and how I'm comparing 1990 and the crash in the early 90s today. There's some similarities there that are eerie. So I wrote a report about that as well. So both those reports are free at thepinereport.com. Awesome, Kevin. We'll make sure the details are included in the show below. But thank you again, Kevin. Really appreciate it. And good luck with everything that you're doing. All right, it's socket, right? Yep. Socket like a rocket. Thank you. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.